Okay. I, there you go. I'm not Pastor Adi. Okay. And the lesson that you have in front of you is not dated August 15th, but dated August 8th. Okay. And the reason for that, for those of you who don't know, last week, Pastor Adi's garage door decided that Pastor Adi did not need to come to church. So it broke. So, yeah. So uh, it really confused me because I wasn't here on August 1st, and I'm like, oh. Anyway, but we have the lesson, and Pastor Adi has given me, like, really lots of notes. Where, where are the extras? Okay, great, great. So... We are in Revelation 16, and this chapter is talking, everything that gets addressed in here is to the non-believer, okay? All, all these things that are we're about to read will happen to them. So, um, Revelation 16, this is verses 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. So, once again, it's talking about, it's addressing the non-believers, people who have rejected God. And um, you might note that as we go through all these bowls of wrath, they closely follow what happened to Egypt when uh, God was convincing the Pharaoh to let his people go. So, I bet you the attached chart is from the previous week. (laughs) Um, Seven bowls of God's wrath, punishment for refusal to believe in God's covering, forgiveness through Jesus for sin, refusal to repent and turn to faith. Um, uh, festering soils as a personal judgment or boils, the people who had the mark of the beast in worship. Though unbelievers might have thought they had economic advantage in worshiping the beast, now they have a medical disadvantage. <laughs> okay. And um, it talked about the, the mark in the earlier chapters and how that was, that's how you were able to transact business and those who did not have it were at a disadvantage, but now, now the, the advantage has shifted. And um, it ties back to Exodus uh, chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses, Moses toss it into the air in the presence of the Pharaoh. It will become a fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because the boils were on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. I guess you could say you're in deep trouble when your heart hardens. Because at that point, or at that point in, in Exodus, Pharaoh had no, he had no way back 
he was he was done and and in a way when we reach this point in time when these the people that have these sores their hearts will also be hard i guess you could say time's up would be a way to put it pastor Adi has a a note here hearts are hardened today by resentment intellectual atheism and suppression of the truth really yes it said the lord hardened pharaoh's heart the lord didn't actually harden his heart he was pharaoh's hardened against the lord yeah that's true yeah that that would be some some people might read that and think that god is doing that and therefore god is unfair but that's not really. It's the person. It's your choice. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned to blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. And um, not one-third, 100%, complete. Um, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And um, if you look at verse 6, and bl blood can be used two different ways. We are forgiven through through the blood, and in this case... This is, blood is the cup of wrath, so it's another judgment. Uh, on the sea, and it turned to blood. Exodus 8, 19, the plague of the waters. Remember when the Nile turned to blood? Um, you are just in these judgments, O Holy One. God's judgment on the sin of unbelievers who reject his love is injustice for those they persecuted. So unbelief rejects God's offer of grace. Pastor Adi has a question. So if unbelievers, I told him I can read my father's handwriting so I should be able to read his, but I'm not sure. I mean, let's see, I've got a missing word here. So if unbelievers suppress the truth or being subject to God's wrath, what does justice look like? Hmm. Well, kind of like, I guess those, those things that we say, what goes around comes around. You know, that, yeah, karma, those are all kind of manifestations. If you are unjust to others at some point, you will receive justice. Well, the picture it paints, they're not going to be living very good. I mean, they're going to get the boils, so they're having medical afflictions, and then the land and the water that they're supposed to be living off of is now dead. So justice pretty much looks like, Really bad news. Yeah, I mean, it's headed towards, I mean, they can't sustain. No. There's they, nothing to sustain on. Their, their health is gone. <coughs> land is gone. Water is gone. There's literally nothing. So they're in just torment. Yes. And, and the thing is, it's not just part of it. It's all of it. It's all of it. Yes. It's interesting that, that all of the sinners were afflicted with the boils. So that made it really easy for everybody to tell who the sin, who the unbelievers and who the righteous were. Because if you didn't have boils, it must mean you're a believer or the righteous. 
Well, except that in the previous chapter, there was the harvest. So I, I and I wasn't here for that lesson. <laughs> Help. But uh, when I read through that, I kind of don't think the believers are around. They've, they've been harvested. So everybody that's left, they're all in the same boat. So that would... So there's no identifying... No, I think I think they're all identified clear, clearly. Yes. You know, if if truth is in the eyes of the beholder, then justice is also in the eyes of the beholder. It's not in the eyes of God. And that's just to, in regard to the, the beholder the, themselves. Um, so, you know, they don't. The truth is really not in them. Therefore, the justice is not in them. So, to them. All of this is wrath, it's just chaos. But it's truly the justice of God. And they probably still don't recognize and God. Because <laughs> I think I'm not, it's, not, it's not right here. The study Bible is, uh, says this is a grisly example of the punishment fitting the crime. For shedding the innocent blood of the righteous, the wicked are forced to drink the blood of the plague-infected rivers and springs. That kind of explains mm -hmm. it to me. Anything else? Yeah. I'm glad I'm not going to be there. Okay. The well, it's in. Okay, and then the next the next reference is one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 73. Is when you when you. Uh, when you're going through things, you're thinking, man, I'm really not being treated very fairly. You know, the, the bad guys have all the stuff, if you will, and you can really get down. Uh, psalm 73 is a great psalm, and uh, David struggled with this. And uh, Psalm 73, 1 through 12, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. It's probably been fitting, like, forever. Um... And then it goes on in verses 20 through 28. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my, por my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And I think between 12 and 23, there's a, a, a verse that talks about almost slipping and falling. And I think that goes back to um, the verse 
Romans 8.18. When we look at our situation and we're undergoing trouble and things aren't, aren't so good and we can really get down on ourselves, but the reality is we have an eternity ahead. And once we're in eternity, problems? Did I have problems on earth? I mean, it just gets... Uh, there, uh, there's another verse, and I don't know which one it is off the top of my head, but you'll be, you will grieve for a moment and happy forever. And so all that, all the bad stuff just gets erased. Um, kind of the thing that Pastor Audie leaves as we, as we kind of finish this section is leave the justice to God, trust God's promises, and live and share the faith. And I think sometimes we get kind of we kind of get bogged down, and we're trying to to fix it all. And that's not our that's not really our job. We are not the ones who are going to uh, exact the justice. God takes care of that. We just have to look at wh- where is He going to use us? What can we do? Yes. It's important to remember. Well, I was listening to a sermon yesterday, and he was preaching about Babylon, and we're kind of living like Daniel was in Babylon right now. Babylon mm-hmm. has been released, and it's chaos. And we Christians can thrive. Daniel thrived in Babylon. Yep. We can thrive amidst all the chaos, and you know that's what. I think this is referring to is the Christians are walking through and seeing, you know, everything falling apart. (laughs) And your head can be turned, but we just have to keep our blinders on. Trust God and hope Jesus. Yeah, you reminded me one of the things that when Jeremiah was a prophet, one of the things that God told him is go buy a piece of land. You know, make an investment in in right now, and then go live a godly life. Be an example, and then people will see that, and then they will say, "Well, how come you're not all upset?" Well, because God's got it under control. Okay, um, verse eight: The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control on these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify Him. It's kind of how much evidence do you need? <laughs> um, the sun scorched people with fire. The misery of the wicked increases. Of course, at this time, okay, we have all the wicked. They're all here. There's no water to drink. They are and now. They're burning up. I mean. And they still refuse. <laughs> That's pretty incredible to me, though I kind of think it's really more a blessing that, that, that I can see. And I'm sad for those who can't see. Um, they cursed the name of God who had control, who had control over these plagues. The severity of plagues did not drive them to their knees. Fear and calamity by themselves may drive a person to humility, but not necessarily to repentance. I mean, I think a lot of times we hear the phrase, we can't let that happen again. I mean, I mean, we hear it over and over again. You know, surely we're smart enough to fix this, but we're not. <laughs> yes. 
Well, you know, we have to remember the spirit of Antichrist is going to be in the world at this time. They're going to be worshiping him as God. Mm-hmm. Because he's going to perform miracles that are incredible. You know, they're going to be thinking he is God. So they're not going to want to fall away from him to worship the true God because he's convinced them with all the things he's done, uh, you know, to quote unquote save the world. He is the one in control, and they're not going to. Their hearts are on him, and they're not focused on him. Right. Yeah. They. Deceived. Well, and how many times do we? If you say if, how many times are we deceived ourselves? And boy, do we stick with it. <laughs> I think Satan keeps saying it can wait. <laughs> do it sometime but right now I'm busy with my life get gaining all my stuff raising my kids you know being important and successful and um, yeah I think that that Satan, Satan then says yeah you need more of that you've got lots of time plenty of time but not really not really that's true I think a lot of people just put it off because they don't want to well, and then it talks about they refused to repent and glorify him. And uh, we're talking about Pharaoh in Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and then Caesar in Rome. And um, we could probably sit down and, uh, cl- and, and add a few more names to that. And they, they claim to have the answer. And... Um, they just refuse. They absolutely refuse. Yeah. A few days ago, I was watching TV and uh, they were uh, broadcasting this baseball game uh, from this field that was field of dreams, mm-hmm. where this baseball field was uh, made and uh, created in Iowa. Mm-hmm. This guy, this actor, whatever his name is. He, he come up there and made a big speech and said, Is this heaven? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boy, about seven or eight years old, holding up a cardboard sign. This is heaven. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the news, then there's the newscast later that night. This news, this sports reporter was speaking about it. He said, Is this heaven? No, it's not. It's Iowa. <laughs> 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 you got these celebrities and politicians who are always trying to uh, make up schemes and glorify themselves by creating something that pe- makes people happy. And it's all oh, this is heaven. Yeah. But it ain't. A lot of deception going on. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sorrows, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure impure spirits that looked like frogs, They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They were demonic spirits that performed signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle. 
on the great day of God Almighty. Okay, let's see. We have... Okay, uh, the note Pastor Adi has here that they are demonic spirits that perform signs. This is to draw people to uh, that are attracted uh, to power and the fact of a celebrity. Um, 666 includes the beast identified as a spiritualist. And then um, that last part there for the battle, the great day of uh, God Almighty is Judgment Day. Fifth angel, the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged. The plague of darkness so terrible it offered no respite from their pain. They, I think it's interesting that every time they refused to repent, they first blamed God for their suffering and even they mm-hmm. So they don't even take it on themselves at any point. They first blame God and then they're I'm not responsible. <laughs> I think I blame everybody else, especially God, and then our heart and stuff. Yeah, I'm wondering how many times that phrase, they refuse to repent, appears in this chapter. With all the parallels to, to Exodus and the, the plagues, mm-hmm. this is a perfect example of not learning from history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, the, um, once again, they refused to repent. The sixth angel um, uh, poured out his bowl in the great river. The river Euphrates was... Uh, a river that was considered kind of a protective barrier for Palestine against the enemies from the east. And even though that's in Iraq, um, that was kind of like rivers formed up boundaries and and were maybe difficult to cross. So this was, okay, we're safe. We're behind this river. We don't have to worry about anything. But in fact, that was not the case. Um, the impure spirits flow from the mouth of each, and the, we talked about the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. The uh, demonic spirits that perform the anti-trinity draws the unbelievers in. Kind of what you were saying about the antichrist and doing all the things that if he mimics God, but he's obviously not God. Or maybe he's not obviously not God <laughs> to a bunch of people. Uh, let's see. Um, anyway, they think that the dragon will win the war. The the evil is going to win. Um, go out to the kings of the whole world to gather for battle on the great day of God Almighty. The world's rulers will gather thinking their power can defeat God only to discover the truth. Uh, the picture in my mind is all the people are in the UN building and they're in New York and say, okay, this is how we're going to fix it all. <laughs> Which is not going to be the case. (laughs) Not going to be the case. Uh, Verse 15. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be be shamefully exposed. Um, I come like a thief. The caution to Christians to not become lax in their faith with regard to the final judgment. Um, uh, there's a note that being clothed is maintaining your faith uh, for, forgiven. We've been covered in our baptism. Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, 
he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Okay, uh, one who stays awake and remains clothed, clothes associated with being forgiven. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were clothed by God. It's always to me been sort of amazing when I read that verse and it talks about God made them clothes. And I just, uh, you know, how do you picture God? But then, you know, somebody sewing clothes, you have to have a really delicate touch and everything. So it's kind of like, it's so big. Yeah. When I think of the word clothes here, uh, even the, the garments that God created for Adam and Eve were there to protect them, as well as cover their shamefulness, mm-hmm. uh, their mental shamefulness. Uh, but what I think about is, is the protection of God, and we need to be putting on the armor of God and keep it on. One of the interesting things about the armor of God in Scripture you remember the element mm-hmm. plate and all that. There's only one that's that's a that's an element of, of offense. All the rest are defense. The one that is is the offensive one is the sword of God, which is the word. Keep strong in the word, and then the rest of it will protect you as well. There's a lot of truth in that. I mean, I know that I personally don't remember like individual verses, I, I'm terrible at memory work. But but what, what I do for myself is um, if I'm trying to learn a verse, I write it down every day for days on end so that I can remember it. But I will never be able to, well, I not, that's not true. One day I'll be able to quote word for word, just not now. <laughs> but but it is, if, if you if you don't consume God's word frequently, you won't have access to it, you know? And I don't know how many times in the course of a day something comes to me and I have to, okay, I need to go look that up and write that one down because I I need to remember that. Um, And it's interesting as you get older and the more times you've read various passages, the easier it is to recall them or find them. Yes. I, uh, we had a, a pastor in training one time that stressed how important it was to know where to find things in the Bible. He said it's, you have to consider that it's the address. Okay, so if you're going to go to somebody's house and you don't know the address, you're going to wander around trying to find it. Mm-hmm. Know the address, you can go right to it. So he really made a good point that knowing where something is instead of just somewhere between Genesis and Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of nice to connect that so you know how important that is to try and remember where something is. Well, and to, I'm still working on it too. Yeah, well, I'm a long way. Yeah. No, and the thing of it, well, and then the other thing is knowing it is helpful because when you run into people who don't know, or they have, um, they've picked up a phrase that's been repeated so many times that people think it's in the Bible, but it's not. And yeah, I think that when Kathy was uh, working in the library, I think that their reference desk was always asking questions. They were asked a lot of questions. Well, where is it in the Bible that it says? And 
the, the number one answer was, well, that's in Shakespeare. <laughs> so um, he was a really good author and a great publicist. Well, he probably did, but the thing about it is, is he, um, he uh, has, I'll say, led people away too, you know, because he, he's not God. But I think it is really important to know God's word. Yes. Well, a good place to start, and I think this is one of the reasons we all got this assigned to us, is our confirmation verse. So, you know, if we're all together in the future in a room, and we're with non-believers and we're trying to bring them around, we can each quote our own confirmation verse as a good start. And hopefully we've got 20 or 30 of them. <laughs> the most important, like John 3.16. Mm-hmm. And that's our foundation. <laughs> I'm, I had to make up my own confirmation verse since I didn't go through confirmation, so I was uh, I was late to the party, if you will. But I have a few verses. But you know what? I always change the words. I mean, that's where I get into trouble. Is is I'll say being a English teacher. I like to pick the words myself. <laughs> I think this is going to rhyme. <laughs> yeah, well, or it's newer. Because I do believe that language is really dynamic. And sometimes, especially when I write verses in, down from the Bible, my big thing is to remove the pronouns and put in the proper noun. Because for me, it makes things a little bit more obvious. You know, like a lot of times, instead of putting in people, they write the word those or all. Well, could you draw me a picture of those or all? You know, none of us can draw that, you know. But if you say, can you draw me pictures of people, every one of us could do that. I mean, mine would all be stick figures, but they would, you would know that my stick figures are people. So that's kind of my own little personal thing. So you replace it with like the person's name? If, if, if it's appropriate. Yeah. And, you know, in other words, there's some verses where we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And apparently, Pastor Wilmer told me that, I think this is in Hebrew, and that a lot of the words that were written in Hebrew, the way it's written, the pronoun is embedded with the verb, like Spanish. And so when they translated it, then it became... He loves, okay, whereas opposed to saying God loves. And to me, it makes it more um, visual, and being a visual person, that's kind of helpful for me. Yes? We used to sing a song when I was a kid in Sunday school. It was, I have the love of Jesus down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart, and it's there to stay. It goes on to say that it's there to stay, and that's where the that's where you go when you when you're struggling. You go to your heart, not your head. Where it is, where the word of God is, is in your heart. In your heart. Well, and that's like um, I'll give you an example of replacing pronouns. I, I have it, I have it written out. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is the description of love. 
and I've taken out every one of the pronouns and put in the word love. Because it just, to me, it makes it so much, I guess in a way, my, in my heart, I have a picture of love, but I don't have a picture of it. You know, and it just makes it more, I'm going to say, solid to me. Uh, hi. I don't know if, if all of you are aware of this, but we have a gifted member on staff here who will occasionally change the words to some of our real common Lutheran hymns that are in the hymnal, which is an okay thing. And then, of course, when yet we can't sing anymore, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, red and yellow, black and white. Mm -hmm. That's what we learned growing up. Now you can't sing that anymore because of all the feelings that that drudges up. So a lot of the song, I'm like you, I will be singing a song and I'll go, that's not, those are, that's not what I used to sing. But uh, it's not a bad thing, but I, one of our staff members does. That's that, where the sword, of the, the sword goes in, in play. <laughs> Defend it, say it again. Nothing wrong with that song. They're all there. Jesus loves them all. Yep. So maybe there's a way to write the write that so it's. Please forgive me for using the word inclusive, but it is inclusive. Well, they have. I mean, yeah. When you sing that song, it's not the word we learned. Okay, verse seventeen. Seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake, the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her a cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on the people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Um, there was an earthquake at the resurrection. Um, the great city split into three parts. Australia um, is kind of a question mark. Could it be Rome? Because a lot of this, um, different, different, I'll say, cities have represented the centers of, I'll say, evil power, whether it was Egypt or Babylon or Rome. And where is it today? I don't know. But there's probably a city that's being referred to. Um, the defeat of Satan is complete. Um, kind of reminds you of Jesus' final words on the cross. It is finished. Um, and then the hailstones, there's no certain reference, no refuge. But, you know, if you've ever been in a hailstorm, there is no place to hide. You know, it's like all of a sudden, I, I remember one time I was driving home from the airport uh, from Love Field and got caught in a hailstorm. It's like there is no place for me to go. I just sit there and let it pound on the car. So Pastor Roddy and I have talked about that word, Celestine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he helped me understand that it's, a, it's actually a Greek banking phrase that means like your debts in every single way, both 
legally, monetarily, mentally, every like in every single way, it is finished, it is handled, and so that Tetelestai word is actually what he said, and it, it has a lot more resonance to the people that heard it because it was an all-inclusive term. It's not just it is finished, it, everything is complete, your balance sheet is settled, money, just all of it. Everything. That's what that word specifically means. It's more that it's done, everything has been completed, and there's nothing else to do. I think we sometimes are a little impoverished by our English language, <laughs> you know, because you, are you finished, you know, can mean so many things, but in this case, it, it's a complete finished, and so we must be right here at that point, and so anything that we're worried, we, we don't have to worry about anything at that point, and in some ways, the 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 people that all this has happened to and they continued to refuse to repent. I mean they dug in. It's finished. They've made their eternity and it's not gonna be ours. Yes. Yeah, I was just gonna say the hailstones are also similar to the plagues of Egypt. Because they in Egypt the plagues on Pharaoh was a hailstorm. Mm-hmm. But it didn't hail for the Israelites. Oh, I didn't know that. It was very specific hail. Yes, hail on the Egyptians. And their crops and their livestock and everything else. Sometimes I feel like that living here in Dallas when we don't get hail and Fort Worth does. But I don't think there's any divine message there. <laughs> I don't want to be insulting anybody from Fort Worth. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Forgot about that. So, uh, question. Now, pit me for being stupid, but how much of this is real and that really going to happen? And how much of this is just all that, uh, you know, figurative? Yes, figurative. Right. This really means something else. Uh, that's a really good question because I think a lot of times, and I'll, I'll kind of give you my my history, if you will. Uh, when, when I was probably about nine or ten years old, and we were going to church, the, the the raging debate was understanding the Bible literally or figuratively. And at ten, I did not have all the training that I now have in the English language, and I think that. I'm going to say, this is the tricky part. I think that some of what we read in the Bible is figurative language. It is a comparison. It's, uh, there's a, similes and metaphors are devices to compare things that are unlike. You know, I am the, uh, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Metaphor doesn't mean that God is actually a vine and we're actually branches. So that's where it gets really tricky in reading um, the Bible to understand where, where is God being figurative and where is God being literal. And just like, I think, I don't know how many times Pastor Adi said it, but when he talks 10 times 10 times 7 times, you know, all those, you know, what it means is a whole bunch, you know, as opposed to, well, it really means, you know, whatever the math worked out for whatever that verse was. 
And that's where we get tripped up. And I, I just remember that was like a raging debate in the early 60s. And, you know, as a kid, I'm hearing it, but I don't understand it. And um, so, I mean, when we look at this and, you know, if I had a hailstorm weighing 100 pounds, it's a really big hailstone. I don't know if they were all 100 pounds or there's a couple 200 pounds or, but you know the thing about it is if you get hit in the head by a five pound hailstone, you're dead. So, you know, that's, it doesn't have to be 100. So I think that that's maybe an exaggeration, if you will, but it's still, you know, um, I think he's talking about real hailstones. I think it's talking about real blood. And in reading and trying to understand, you really have to kind of, you know, ask the Spirit to kind of guide you. It's also, it's a vision. I mean, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. A vision. A vision. Oh, okay. Of John. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. It's a vision. Well, we also know that the book was written to be a little bit John's okay. Because if people were found with this, then mm -hmm. they had a thing that was like, oh, all the kings are going to come together and you're still going to lose. Right. Yeah. It would be very good for the person that had that in their hands. So True. It is in danger of, you know, it's supposed to be, like you said, figurative. Yeah. So people who know the teachings and can work through it understand it, but a Roman soldier who finds it is not going to be like, oh, this person is claiming we're going down. Yeah. That's true, and yeah, you know. So there, there's, there's a combination, and you have to be really careful. And I think that sometimes there are people that will ex exploit that, you know, to I'll say pull people away from the faith or to divide people. I mean, and that would be kind of like right out of Satan's playbook to, to cause controversy so that people become confused. So I think that's a very definite possibility. And, you know, I, and I think sometimes we, we are trying to be emphatic about our point and we overstate the truth or we create a truth that pushes people away. And you have to be careful. Yes? Well, I think, speaking of being careful, I think it was suggested uh, to me in a Bible class um, that for brand new Christians, uh, it was suggested don't don't read Revelation <laughs> for quite some time when they're brand new. <laughs> well, having grown up in another tradition with a really scary view of Revelation, that really makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, when I found out that Pastor Cone was going to do Revelation in the men's Bible study, and then Pastor Audio was going to do it in Sunday school, I was like, I was really kind of dreading it, but. Now, not now, not so much. I really more see it as a it it's a it's it's kind of like a gospel of the of eternity, and and that's a lot easier to to handle. But th yeah, that's true. That's there are a lot of really unrealistic expectations we put on new new Christians, you know, and it may work real good if you're trying to. <laughs> recruit people to go do a little task over here in the church, but I'm not sure that's a good idea. Anything else? Yes. I think the Great Commission was to go to all the world and preach the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, it's the future. No, well, I think it, it contains elements of the gospel, you know, and I think it is a, I, I see it as something that reinforces my faith that I really have very little to worry about. But I think that um, you have to be really careful. And I think too often we talk to people before they're ready to hear, and that becomes an, an obstacle. And uh, we and we have to recognize that there are some people that will refuse to repent. Richard, mm-hmm. I look at it, and this is the way I was taught. I was raised Pentecostal. That the, the thing is that you start out with milk as a baby, right? Mm-hmm. Then as you grow as a, a teenager, if you've been raised in the church, perhaps you begin to get the sincere milk. By the time you reach adulthood, if you're a Christian, you have the full armor of God. But, on the other hand, if you are of the world, you're going further and further the other way. The Bible is sincere truth. And evil is the ultimate end of the devil and those who want to live his life. So you have a choice. You follow God and you follow the word which he gave us from Genesis to Revelation from, you know, from the old scriptures to the new scriptures. Every word of it is the word of God. And we have to meditate on it. It's not something that we just take lightly. You meditate on it. And you put it here. God puts it here. He puts it here. But you have to you have to want it. It's not something that just comes to I might, I might, I, I think that God reveals stuff to us as we go through life and he gives us experiences. And sometimes understanding God's word is kind of like peeling an onion in that you, you get deeper and deeper. And I know any number of times that I've been doing my, read a verse in my morning devotion, I'm like, I know I've read this verse like 30 times before, but I've never seen that. And I just, I just think it's, God's way of saying, wake up, Richard, wake up, <laughs> you know, and I think it is, it's a progressive thing, and the long, the more it progresses, the stronger it gets. Yes? Um, well, I, I, the Great Commission tells us to go make disciples of all nations. A disciple is what the disciples started out doing, spreading the gospel, but it wasn't just to spread the gospel, it's to I'm going to share with you about Jesus so you can share Jesus. We're, we're, in a way, making salesmen of the gospel. It's like a parent. You're not raising your children. You're raising young parents. You're teaching your children to be, grow up to become parents. 
and we're raised, we're sharing the gospel, and that's getting more difficult. And I have to remind myself because I keep forgetting too. But sometimes I, I go blank. I'm at a loss of words. I don't know what you know. I want. I, I hear some sin. I hear things that get me angry. But that's not going to win over anybody. And I don't know the words. And when I am at a loss of words, then I try to look for some way to show love. Whatever that is. Go do or kindness of some sort. Yeah, go do good. Go be kind to people. That's that's I think that sometimes is I personally kind of don't like the idea that I'm a salesman for God. <laughs> now, I never wanted to be a salesman anyway, but <laughs> but I I I would rather my personal approach is go try and live the, the most Christ-like life that I can live. And if you ask me about it, I'll tell you. But if I try to hit you over the head... Well, I didn't mean it like that. No, no, I understand. I understand. It's just that I have a, I have a mental block with that. I don't do the door-to-door sales stuff. Yeah. So... Anything else? We need to address something you said. Uh, you said that sometimes you present to new Christians or to somebody that you're trying to encourage information that they're not ready to accept. But I don't think it ever hurts to plant seeds. Oh, yeah. Something else will help it grow even if it's not you. That's true. And I think that's, that's therein lies we all have roles. And we have to look to see what does what does what does God want me to do on August the fifteenth, you know, and go do it. So get rid of me and say Richard. What? Well, not Richard. Oh oh oh. Yeah, that's right. We have to get rid of those pronouns. <laughs> have to get rid of those pronouns. They used to make me crazy grading teach grading students writing, and it's always uh, there was always my friend. So your friend didn't have a name. Everybody's got a name. So point taken. And we probably don't want to be late. Those of us going to late service. So yeah. Okay. Let me close with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for this day, and thank you for the truth that you have given us. And help us to be uh, your people on earth at this time, and help us to do the things that you need us to do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.